Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, today's a big day. It's election day. It's the first day of college basketball. And it's also part two of our Villanova season preview breakdown. Last Thursday, we spent our time with Catherine Ryan breaking down each and every single non-conference opponent. Today is part two of our favorite series when we just go through the whole schedule, talk about hoops, talk about everybody. And we're going to spend a lot of time today breaking down the Big East Conference, all 10 of its teams. We got to scout at the competition. We got to know what we're coming up against this year. A lot of us, we know what's going on with the state of the Nova Nation. But in terms of Butler, Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, and Xavier, we need to get well acquainted with these teams. We're not going to see them yet until January or late December. But this is going to be the most important part. Once we get through Kansas and UConn and the Advocare Invitational and all the other teams in between, this is where we're going to make our bread. So, yeah, you know, with these non-con games, there's always a high-profile game in there, you know. As we were talking about on Thursday, we have that big Kansas game coming up in December. But, you know, these these Big East games are where, like you said, this is where teams are made. You know, it's a it, to me as a fan, these are the most fun you have a really intense, you have intense games, you know, a lot of hatred involved, a lot of scrappiness, all that stuff that just makes these games worthwhile television. You know, it might not be number one Kansas against number nine Villanova, but, you know, Villanova and Seton Hall will always be a good game. You, you know that, that's for sure, especially at Seton Hall. Villanova and Marquette is probably going to be the, the high billing this year between, between two teams probably going after the conference title at least in the regular season. It's going to be a fun, competitive season in this conference. I feel that a lot of teams are pretty even talent-wise, and it should be a fun one. Yeah, there's a lot of changing of the guard, a lot of new faces, a lot of players looking to step into much bigger roles. We know Villanova has a lot to replace. A bunch of other teams do too. So this is looking like it's going to be a very fun, wide-open league, or at least maybe not wide open, but way more competitive than in years past. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good time. We've done this preview show now for three seasons. And in the past two years, we did the research. We tried to do as best as we can to compile scouting reports, what to expect, some storylines from each of the teams. But this year, we we want to try something a little different. Now, we could always do the research, but we want the people who can get inside. They either follow the team very closely, they cover the team, or as we'll see with one of them, they're actually a former manager, so they know the ins and the outs. They know the culture more than we do, 
and also they can help provide other different perspectives. So for each Big East team, each Big East opponent, we're going to bring on one guest on this show, Perth team, to represent that school. And we're going to talk about what to expect from those respective teams, what they can do versus Nova, and also hopefully we can find some perspectives, some insights that we wouldn't have got from doing scouting reports, watching video highlights, looking into articles, reading everything that we can on Twitter or anywhere we can go, any news source. So hopefully they can add a different dimension to what we could have offered in years past or in doing it ourselves. For sure. I'm really excited to hear what everybody has to say. And I feel that, like you said, like when we when we do these previews, I feel like there's always a blind spot here and there just because, you know, we might not see the diamond in the rough that these guys are seeing day in and day out while watching the team that they love, sort of like what we do with Villanova. So uh, hopefully these guys can shed more light on these teams than we can. I really am looking forward to what they have, they have to say. Chris and I, before we put this show together, we were deciding on how we were going to order this. In what way were we going to organize our thoughts, bring on these teams, introduce them to you guys out there listening? And after much deliberation, we've decided that the most fair, easy way to do it is to just go in alphabetical order. We're going to start with Butler, then we're going to go all the way through, all the way down to Xavier at the Caboose. I'm excited to get this started. Let's get to work. First up, we got the Butler Bulldogs. Chris, as we know, that was just a pretty fun series last year between the regular season and that one meeting in the Big East tournament. Yeah, in the regular season, we had uh, that upset at Hinkle and then brought it back to Villanova and the Wells Fargo Center, where it was a really tightly contested game. Butler actually led it half, and Villanova ended up pulling away in the second half. And then we had that other beatdown of the Bulldogs in Madison Square Garden in the Big East tournament. Last year, the Bulldogs finished 21-14 overall, 9-9 in conference play. We're here now with Perry Wagner, former manager for the Butler men's basketball team. He's here to give us the scoop on those Bulldogs. He also writes for the Blazers Edge, the NBA Portland Trail Blazers SB Nation site, as well as Big East Coast Bias. Perry, how are you doing today? I'm doing so good. So happy to be here. How are you guys doing? We're great. We're great. We're excited. We're glad to have you participating to, with our Big East overarching preview. Absolutely. Before we even get into the team, how has your retirement from your managerial post been? Do you miss it? <laughs> I do miss it a little bit. It's uh, it was a big time commitment. Um, so, you know, finding things to fill that time is tough. Uh, but I do not miss the 4 a.m. practices. That is one thing that uh, killed me all year. So, but, you know, being around the team and, and uh, preparing for games and that sort of thing is definitely something I'm going to miss, especially uh, come Big East time and tournament time. So, it's all right. <laughs> we know that managers do a lot for their college mm -hmm. basketball teams. But what is something that most people wouldn't know? Look, take us behind the curtain a little bit. What goes on behind the scenes? Yeah, I think one thing that is probably the biggest time commitment for us, like except for like being at practice, which I think most managers do. And I know most managers do this thing too. But like we are, every single opponent we have, we're, we're watching their game film and we're, we're kind of putting together highlight tapes of certain players. Uh, and we are kind of the, the groundwork for what the coaches see and what the players see as to what a certain player does, where he shoots, when he shoots certain shots. Uh, and there's a lot riding on that because if you miss, if you miss, you know, three makes by Desi Rodriguez last year or, you know, some other uh, player in the Big East, like that's, it can make a big difference on how coaches scout and how players uh, are going to guard certain players. And so it uh, puts a lot of pressure on us, but uh, it's really fun. You get to know uh, a lot of different opposing players and, and then you're watching the games. You're like, yep, I've seen that. I've seen that. So it's, it's a pretty good experience. So speaking about the team itself, uh, you guys lost Keelan Martin this year uh, to graduation. Mm -hmm. 
And that means Kamar Baldwin's going to be at the forefront as the alpha dog for the Butler Bulldogs there. Um, he's been a supplementary player to Martin, but do you think he's really uh, ready to, you know, step into the limelight there and be, be the main guy for Butler? Yeah, I, I think he is ready. I think that there are maybe concerns that his, his, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but he, he tries really hard on defense and he, he values that a lot. And I think that to be the offensive player that Butler needs him to be this year, which is probably to average at least 20 points, he's going to need to maybe take a step back on defense, let Aaron Thompson take care of that um, in the backcourt and focus on scoring because uh, there were a lot of times last year where it seemed like he, he got gassed at the end of game, at the end of games and didn't seem to happen as much with Keelan. Uh, it maybe just might be a body type thing, but I know that um, they're working on his body, working on his endurance. Uh, but but like I said, that's one big thing is that I think it's it's the step back on defense that might be necessary uh, for Butler to take that next step and for Kamar to take that next step. That's interesting because I have loved what Baldwin does whenever he steps on the floor. He just goes out there with like a killer scrappy mentality, really just mm-hmm. owns it on defense. And ever since he was a freshman, I have just loved what he brings to the Bulldogs, just brings that energy. I really yeah. think he will be that guy. I think he can be that guy. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he could drop 20 a night, but he has, yeah. he has a very big problem for opposing teams with just the way that he's able to impact the game on so many different fronts. Yeah, and remember, I mean, he came in as a freshman and averaged 10 points with, like, Andrew Shravitz there and Keelan was still there. There was a lot of, of scoring pieces even his freshman year. Uh, he was capable to come off the bench for most of the year and, and give a good punch. And then even last year, um, moving that up by about, I think he averaged about 16 points last year. So, yeah, as you said, he's fully capable of getting to that 20 mark. Um, it's just a matter of, is it going to happen? And if, and if it's even going to be necessary with the rest of the pieces that are around them. So besides Baldwin and DJ Pauly George, Paul Jorgensen, who we Villanovans <laughs> know can absolutely shoot the ball when he gets hot. Absolutely. Yeah. Sean McDermott is another shooter. Who do Big East fans need to watch out for on this Butler team? Who can also take a step up? I would say it's definitely Sean McDermott. I think that this summer he worked a lot on, on expanding his game outside of just three point shots. Uh, last year it, it was mostly spot up and he granted he was injured for some of the year. Um, he got injured in Portland during the PK 80 and that, that set him back quite a bit. Um, but he's been working a lot this summer. Um, I think he's going to be better defensively. I think you can trust him a lot more this year than you have in, in the past, especially his, his freshman year. You, you could really put him on guys in the big East. Once they got in the big East play, his minutes dwindled a lot. I think that this year you'll see him play big minutes, be able to guard uh, some of those bigger bodies, a small forward and power forward even in the Big East, and he's still going to be the best shooter on the team. I think he's, he actually is a better shooter than Paul consistently, uh, and if he, can, if he can consistently give you some creative points, not just threes, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to guard him, and he's, he's, a, he's a mismatch. I think he's going he's gonna to surprise some people. One guy I have my eye on is uh, Jordan Tucker. He hasn't even played a minute for the Bulldogs yet. <laughs> um, so we all know he went to Duke. Uh, stayed there for a f- couple of months and then ended up transferring. So he's not eligible until yeah. halfway through the year. And as Villanova fans, we're all pretty familiar with him because he was on Villanova's recruiting radar for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think he can be an impact player right away once he's eligible? Do you expect big things from him? Or do you just kind of see take it easy with him and then maybe next year he can step into a big role? I think it's kind of a wait and see sort of thing. I think people just have to remember, like you said, he has played like 10, 20 minutes total of college basketball. Um, so he's basically going to be coming in as a freshman who hasn't played at all, hopping into a team that that will kind of have its rhythm already. I think that he has the capability to give – I don't think he'll start at all, but I think he has the capability to give 10 to 12 points off the bench this year and then next year 
uh, depending on who stays and who goes. I think that um, he gets he could slot in that starting lineup and average 15 to 18. I think that might be his his limit, uh, but it, it, it'll certainly help uh, this year. I think you'll you'll see sometimes at the beginning of the year they might they might struggle to score some points, uh, especially when that bench unit comes in and he'll he'll be able to lead that that unit once he comes back. Prediction time. So Butler will host Nova on January 22nd. Then both teams will meet again in Philly on March 2nd. How do you see the series playing out? Do you see it being a sweep either way, or do you see both teams splitting it? I'm leaning towards a split. I think that Butler certainly lost a lot a lot of firepower uh, in their offense, but obviously Villanova did too, losing DiVincenzo, losing Michael Bridges, losing uh, Jalen Brunson. So they're definitely sort of in a rebuild, but you, you can never say it's a rebuild because you have Jay Wright and you have guys like Eric Pascal and all those other players that are still there and still having excellent recruiting classes. I would, but I would lean towards a split. I think that for whatever reason, as, as you've seen the last couple of years, Butler has a way of getting it done uh, in Hinkle. And so I think that game will be a, a tight game. Um, Butler probably pulls it out. And then I, I don't see there being any chance that we beat you guys in Philly. So I'll go, I'll go with a split. And if, if either team were to, to sweep, it would be Villanova. I totally agree with you. I fully think that there's going to be a split. Hinkle magic has not been kind to Nova as of late, but even <laughs> even when Nova is able to pull it out, I've noticed it's that close. the Bulldogs, yeah, the Bulldogs always just give us a, a yeah. game, a game and yeah. a half at Hinkle. And then when it comes back to Philly where Nova is just playing at home, they just seem to take care of business. But I, I do think it will be a split. I think it's going to be a split too. I, I am a believer in Hinkle magic. And, and let's be honest, Butler plays Villanova well at, at home, at, at Villanova in the past couple of years anyway. You had that one game two years ago where it felt like Villanova was up by 15 the entire game, but they really only up a couple baskets. And then Butler was able to pull away at the end of the Pavilion win streak. And then last year was kind of a close game until Villanova was able to pull away at the end. So Butler always gives Villanova problems, but I still I think Villanova will take care of business at home, but then uh, we'll fall victim to the Bulldogs at Hankel. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, I was at that the Villanova game at in Philly, uh, and I think Butler had a double-digit lead most of the way through that first half, yeah. and then just things kind of fall apart there at the end. I think Dante took over, mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah, that's a good point. Butler, it it seems as if they if there's two games a year that they get up for 100, percent it is it is the Villanova games. Uh, one more before you go. Uh, as a manager, I'm sure you've been with a team to various places. Uh, what is your favorite? Big East school or site to visit and outside of the Big East favorite non-con place that you've been to? Well, I actually, I didn't go to any non-con last year. Um, I, I was, when we went to the PK 80, I was just there with my family. Um, they took some older guys, uh, but I was able to be on the bench for the Ohio state game uh, where we came back against Chris Holtman, uh, which is a, a wild, a wild game. It was kind of an odd scenario because Portland has like two basketball arenas and we were in the older one and there wasn't a lot of people there, but the game itself was fantastic. And I love going to Philly. I think Philly is a fantastic place. Um, we played in, in Wells Fargo. So it was kind of the outskirts of Philly, you know, kind of in that sports complex. Uh, but we stayed downtown and seen the Liberty Bell and everything. It was, it, it's a fantastic place. I loved it. Perry, thanks for coming on. Thank you Absolutely. for your time. Yeah, no problem guys. Perry Wagner, once again, everybody, you can follow him on Twitter at Perry Wagner, all one word. P-E-R-R-Y-W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R. Chris, that was a pretty good chat with Perry. If there's one thing that I took away from that, I had no idea how much work managers do. Like, they're everywhere, and we see that they're everywhere, but I did not realize how much they do for the team, even off the court. 
yeah, just kind of always viewed the team managers as the guys who brought out the seats at the under 16, under eight, under four timeouts and, and, you know, just there to help during practice. But I, I had no idea it was that in depth and providing scattering reports on top of that too, is just absolutely crazy. You know, props, props to the managers. They seem to be uh, the real MVPs of those teams. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that it's all voluntary too. I guess just some food for thought, but let's move along. Up next, we got Alex Sindelar of the White and Blue Review. He covers all things Creighton, not just basketball, but he's also there for women's basketball, volleyball, and baseball. This guy's a one-man Creighton coverage army. Let's see what he has to say about the Blue Jays and the Wildcats and what to expect. We're joined now by Alex Sindelar, my man from Big East Coast Bias. He also writes for Creighton News website, The White and Blue Review. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Eugene. How are you doing? I'm great. Chris is great. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, of course. So the Big East preseason pollsters were not kind, picking Creighton to finish it in ninth place. Was that fair or was that a little too harsh? You know, I I think it's... It's, it's a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, the, the Big East is so wide open this year. And, I mean, they lost I – mean, the Blue Jays lost a lot of production in Kyrie Thomas and and Marcus Foster, uh, Toby Hegner going out. Uh, so, I mean, they, they lost a lot of production. And so it's it's hard to say that they're going to do, you know, all that well. I, I don't blame them at all for, for picking them ninth. I think they're going to do a little bit better than that. But um, I, I think it's fair based on, you know, the body of work that they've seen. But I, I do think it's a little harsh because I think there's a lot of potential with this this uh, squad this year. Yeah. So Alex, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been saying our first episode. I said one of the overwhelming themes in the, in the Big East this year is that a lot of teams lost a lot of talent. And as you mentioned, Kyrie Thomas, which I thought was kind of a surprise uh, surprise leave there, and then Marcus Foster leaving. Do you feel that's that's too much of a void for Creighton to kind of overcome this year, or or do you or could you see maybe you know, someone stepping up in, in, in their absence and maybe uh, turning some heads. You know, I, I yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year because they have a lot of talented pieces that are kind of slotting into those same roles. Um, look like Mitch Ballack, who, you know, as, as a freshman last year, he got a lot of run. He got a lot of playing time and uh, and he scored well. He, he's a he's a pure three point shooter and he, he's kind of just a, a natural leader. You can tell that he's he's got a lot of maturity to him, even though he's he's a sophomore this year. Um, but a lot of the things that he, sh- he showed as a freshman were really impressive. Um, and then, you know, kind of filling in for uh, Marcus Foster is going to be Tyshawn Alexander. And and he poured in 17 points in their exhibition. Granted, it was Winona State, but he shows a lot of promise as well, both on the offensive and defensive end. You know, he talked about, you know, the preseason, how you know, he, he kind of looked after Kyrie and his defensive abilities and, you know, Max been, you know, Coach Max has been kind of getting hard on him about getting better at on defense because they 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 lost, I think more so um, than offensive production, defense production in in Kyrie Thomas losing him, so they needed a guy to step up, and I think that's uh, that's what you're going to see. I, I think you're going to see a little bit more of a, a team motivated um, a defensive effort than you saw in the last couple of years because. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie was just—he was dynamite. He was locked down. So, um, I think you're gonna you're gonna see a lot more um, uh, scoring from the opposing team's, you know, top guard, um, because I don't think Tyshawn's gonna quite fit into that role uh, immediately. I think it's gonna take him a couple of years to maybe develop some defensive acumen. 
Um, but they they have a lot of interesting pieces. They got uh, Connor Cashaw, who w- was a grad transfer out of Rice, and he scored 17 a game last year for Rice. Yeah, and he he kind of brings a, a veteran presence. And a guy like that, you have no idea. He can kind of be a spark plug. He can kind of be the guy that that comes off the bench as a six man and kind of you know rallies the troops and kind of settles things down. Um, so they have they have a lot of interesting uh, parts to them right now. Uh, it's gonna gonna be a completely different looking team than they were in the past three years. They got three big men. They're gonna rotate in and out. They got uh, freshman. Samson Froling, who's a seven-footer from Australia. I think you, you probably recognize that last name because his brother Harry uh, played for Marquette last year, and I think he's split thus far, but um, at some point last year. And and then you got Jacob Epperson, obviously, the other seven-footer also from Australia. Uh, he's got some nagging knee injuries, but he, he's pretty good in the post, and he's got a pretty good three-point shot as well, so you can kind of space him out. And then obviously Martin Crample, who is – you know, I mean, one of the best post players, I think, in the Big East up until he, he tore his ACL. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to come back. But if you put all those pieces together, maybe you have something. It's going to be kind of a melting pot, kind of everything kind of thrown together, and they're going to see what sticks. So it's an it's an experimental year. But I think losing Kyrie and losing Marcus, I don't think that's necessarily a huge detriment because you're, then you're, you're kind of giving out – um, a lot more offensive production to kind of role players from last year who have an opportunity to step up and maybe they relish in the, in the opportunity. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I think the sophomores are going to be big as well as a couple of the other guys, but you mentioned Martin Crample. He had that ACL injury last season and he was playing very well up until then. Super efficient in the post, very good big man in the big East. He's back this year. Is it safe to say that he'll be a go-to guy? Can he shoulder a load or does the injury kind of concern you a little bit? Might need to ease him in or just have him be one piece of a bigger machine. Yeah, I think he's he's obviously going to be a go-to guy um, because he has the experience. He's played in the Big East. Um, I I think they're going to try to feed him as much as possible. But at the same time, like you said, with the injury, you got to limit his reps. and You got to limit his time on the court. So you look at that and it's like, you know, you lose – arguably the most dynamite part of this offense in the transition, which is Martin Grample. And I mean, giving it to him in the post off of a steal or off of a rebound, you know, and his ability to move up and down the court so well, yeah, that, that was, that was his go-to. That was, that's what made him great. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if he can replicate that same success. I, I sincerely doubt that he'll be able to maybe, you know, 80% of it, maybe 60% of it, uh, he won't quite be what he was last year because I think the injuries and I, I, he in the first two weeks of practice this year uh, sprained his ankle again. So he's kind of injury prone. So I think they're going to be a little bit more hesitant in playing him as much as they did, say, in the years past. All right. So, Alex, we got to ask you prediction mm-hmm. time. Got a game January 13th at CenturyLink and we got a game at the New Pavilion on the 6th of February. How do you see this going? Do you see a uh, sweep on either end, or do you see a split? Oh, no, I, I see a sweep completely. Um, I just don't think Creighton's quite got the horses yet. If they if they manage to figure it out, if they manage to to put some pieces together, I maybe, you know, maybe they can beat Nova. But, I mean, you, you your squad is just 
so so good in yeah year in year out so um no i think i think full well that it's going to be all nova again as it usually is interesting you say that i know a couple of our staffers had us losing at creighton at the CenturyLink center i personally wasn't one of them but i'm surprised that you think that way that it would be a clean sweep like that it is a hard place to play in in omaha yeah, I just think that I mean talent wise, and I I don't know. I mean Villanova just I, I know that they, they don't have a lot of players returning from last year, but I just, I I just have a feeling that they're gonna pull something off. And I mean not like last year. I mean that that upset last year was you know something that you that I didn't expect. I completely I think I predicted that Villanova would win by twenty five plus, but I think this is kind of it's gonna be a little bit more of a down year, and I think. I think Jay Wright outcoaches McDermott well. And so when they both are kind of struggling with newer players slotting into different roles, then I think Jay Wright ultimately wins that coaching battle every single time. So I, I think that's that's kind of it. And and maybe, you know, the fan support might be a little bit down this year because they're not going to be as good and as explosive as they were in years past. So I don't know if you're going to quite see – the CenturyLink uh, or CHI Health Center or whatever it's called anymore. I, I don't even know. I, I don't think you're going to see it as full as maybe, you know, last year or the year years previous, uh, even though Villanova is the reigning national champion. I don't know if, you know, the fans are going to quite turn out as, as they used to. All right. So Chris, uh, Alex has a sweep in Nova's favor. I have a sweep in Nova's favor. Do you agree or do you have a slightly different take on this? Yeah, no, I, I see it. A clean sweep as well on Nova's end. Yeah, usually I'm always terrified of going to CenturyLink. It, it seems that every time Villanova goes there, it's it's a hell of a game. And even I remember, uh, I believe it was our junior year when like Creighton was having a down year, and Villanova went in there like pretty hot, and Creighton was pretty terrible. And then they gave him a game. I think I think the game went to overtime. I think that was like the arch left-handed layup game. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, it's always a tough place to play, regardless of how good or bad Creighton is. Uh, so I see that game being a little tough, but I still think uh, Villanova comes victor- comes out victorious in both games. All right. Alex, thank you so much for talking Blue Jays with us. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Eugene. Thanks, Chris. You can follow Alex on Twitter at underscore underscore Sindelar, S-I-N-D-E-L-A-R. You know, Chris, I know last year there was a little bit of a letdown at CenturyLink, but I don't think we have anything to worry about with those Blue Jays. Yeah, that was a weird game in CenturyLink last year. At, at eventually uh, ending up in an overtime loss. So, but I, I think Villanova's fortunes will be much better this time around. Yeah, I think Nova's fortunes will totally be a lot better this time around against those Blue Jays. No Doug McDermott, no Ethan Raggy. So, we'll be fine. No Kyrie Thomas, Marcus Foster. We're we're good. We're good. But there's another Big East team that is hoping to turn their fortunes around, get a stroke of luck. Some good fortune, some lucky charms, four-leaf clovers, rabbit feet, anything. Anything to make it work over there in the Windy City. Up next, we got DePaul. We have VJ Vimu joining us. Let's see what he has to say about those Blue Demons, who finally, believe it or not, cracked the 10-win mark last year. We're here now with VJ Vimu, resident DePaul writer over at Big East Coast Bias. He also covers the Chicago Bulls for NBA SB Nation affiliate Bloggable. He's calling in from the Windy City. VJ, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on to the show. 
Um, I'm doing well. Um, it's it's always fun to talk to Paul Hoops, and you know, especially this time of the year, college basketball starting this week. A lot of good games uh, up on slate with all these, you know, invitationals and stuff like that. So, you know, it's good to be here. Last year, DePaul eclipsed the 10-win mark for the first time under Dave Lado in his second regime in Chicago. This year, the Blue Demons were picked dead last in the Big East preseason poll. But when you have Max Drews, Eli Kane, and transfers like Jalen Coleman, Lands, and Femi Olajabi, this seems like the recipe for a solid roster. What can we expect from this team? I mean, the Big East is a really hard conference. Like, you know, like it's, it's top heavy, like a lot of good teams. So for DePaul, we just have to temper expectations um, with this team. Obviously, like you said, they eclipsed the 10-1 mark, which is pretty huge for them. But they still finished in the cellar. So um, if you're looking at DePaul, try to, you know, maybe get out of that eight to that eighth or ninth spot in the Big East. I and, mean, you know, like, you know, just be competitive, I think, with this new roster. At least make games interesting, make games fun, which I think is like the next step for DePaul. With regards to the roster in general, is there anybody out there that could kind of come out of nowhere and turn some heads, kind of like how Max Struess did last year? Uh, he, he had a pretty good game against Villanova last year at, at Wells Fargo. Um, anybody of note that you want to tell everybody to keep an eye on? Yeah, you know, there's, there's some guys that um, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, guys like Paul Reed, sophomore now out of Orlando. Um, he's probably going to be one of their, like, you know, starting big men or, like, one of the key big men off the bench. I really liked him last year. He has a lot of length. At 6'9", he's 210. So I think he can you know, be a big force in the middle because, like, one of the problems DePaul is going to have this year is lack of, like, you know, front court depth without uh, Joel Hanel and uh, Marich. They're both out. They're both uh, graduated. So, you know, DePaul is going to have a lot of youth and in the front court. Um, Jalen Butts and Paul Reed are both going to be, like, you know, two guys to watch for. Both forwards, both really tall. So those are the two guys I would look out for. I think they both have a lot of talent. They both could probably be, like, you know, forces in the middle. How many wins do you see the squad amassing this year? And do you think it'll finally climb out of 10th place? I don't know. I mean, looking at their schedule right now, it's pretty tough. They have some decent games. I mean, the thing with DePaul usually is, like, you look at their out-of-conference schedule and then determine how many wins they're going to get because, like, you know, the buzzsaw is the conference play. Uh, they have some hard games against Penn State, Notre Dame, Northwestern, Boston College. So I think they probably hover around that 12, probably 12, 13 wins mark. So I think that is good enough for them to get out of the bottom of the Big East. But I'm not really so confident. I think we have to see what, how they play in their first big test against Penn State, just to see how good this team can be. All right, so your head coach, Dave Lado. This is his second go-around at DePaul, um, but it's not nearly as good as his first time, uh, as he took the Blue Demons to the NCAA tournament in 2004. What is your general feeling about Lado, and what would you kind of grade him so far in his second tenure? Uh, second tenure, obviously, it's been a little rougher than you expected. They haven't really like you know gotten off to the start that, they were probably imagining. I think I'd rate him as like probably a C right now. I mean, he's doing he's doing okay. Like he's getting some of those like some of these recruits are piling in. He's getting good transfers, but at the same time, like you also have a lot of guys transferring out, and there's been a lot of losing in DePaul, um, especially with the new stadium. I think this is the really the key year for Lado. Like you guys said, like he eclipsed the ten one mark. Now what can he do after that? Right. So he got to that mark. Now he has to improve on it. So I would give him overall like you know a C, probably C minus something like that. In your opinion, how do you think you can, quote-unquote, fix DePaul? Like, what would be needed for it to be a completely turned around into a decent program, a contender? What do you think? Is it recruiting? Is it culture? What do you think it is? I think the culture's fine. really like the culture. I mean, it's, it's like Chicago basketball, right? That's what they're trying to do. Like, you know, Chicago basketball is still pretty legendary. I think recruiting, they need to start, I mean, obviously, it's not really up to them, but, like, they need to start hitting on some of these, like, you know, Chicago guys. Like, you know, make... DePaul, like Chicago school, that's the one critique that a lot of like Illinois schools have is like they can't keep their guys in the state of Illinois. 
like guys like Derrick Rose and like even like guys who like transferred into high schools, Chicago high schools like Kevin Garnett, like they've never stayed in like they've never even thought about going to like Illinois or DePaul like that. So like DePaul is in the city. They have like, you know, they're the first guys there when you like, you know, you see all these guys like up close. So I think recruiting is a big part of it. I think in terms of DePaul fixing them for a top round roster, they need to get more I don't know, I think more depth positions. Like a lot of times, like you know, it's a really top heavy they've had for a lot of years. I've had really like Big scores like you know Eli Kane, Billy Garrett, like you know the guys underneath the second units are just not, just not doing well enough. So I think that's sort of like the coaching style, like you know get better depth. But in terms of like what they can do as a program, I think recruiting is obviously a big step in that. Why do you think that a lot of Chicagoans kind of leave the area and they don't really like to stay home that much? I think it's the like probably it's the lack of success DePaul has had, and like as an inner city school, right? That's like the first one you see. And also I think it's just the landscape of college basketball is just, I mean, has changed so much. And I think it's gone right past the Blue Demons in a way in terms of recruiting, like in all these blue blood programs like Kentucky, Duke are just, you know, swooping in and getting these guys. And then and I think the recruits are not really, really sold that like, you know, Chicago is the real like hub of maintaining basketball excellence in a way. Like, you know, they haven't had – DePaul hasn't had, like, a really big recruit in a long, long time. I can't even remember the last time DePaul's had a super major recruit come in. So I think it's just – part of it is, like, you know, not the culture around the program per se, but, like, the culture around Chicago basketball itself. So just taking it back and looking at Villanova and DePaul, prediction time, based on your answers, I kind of feel like I know where you're going. <laughs> but Nova opens up Biggie's play with DePaul once again. They'll play at the Pavilion on January 2nd. Then they'll meet again in Chicago on January 30th. How do you see the series playing out? I'm assuming a sweep for yeah. one team. Yeah, I assume a sweep for Villanova. You know, this is a hot take. <laughs> but um, I think DePaul will play them close in at least one of the games. My guess is probably the home game. They play them really close. Because, like, last, I think it was either last year or two years ago. They played – they were really, like, in the game against Villanova. And it was really surprising because everyone's like, wow, Villanova's about to lose DePaul. But, you know, Villanova pulled, pulled through. I think it's going to be a sweep by Villanova. I think they might, they're going to probably blow out DePaul in Philly and all that, and like in Pennsylvania and all that stuff. I think when you come back to Chicago, it's going to be a little closer, but I think Villanova is going to pull away. So I think sweep by Villanova, like I said earlier. Yeah, it always feels like DePaul always gets one. They always get one (laughs) upset against the Big East team. Yeah, they always do. Chris, what's the you? Yeah, I got this as a sweep and, uh, yeah, DJ, I know which game you talked about. It was the game at the Pavilion a couple of years ago where yeah. DePaul was just like somehow in that game and it was like on the verge of ending Villanova's like really long Pavilion win streak. Uh, but uh, Villanova was able to pull away there. But yeah, I, I see this as a sweep this year. And there you have it. Thank you, VJ, for coming on and talking to Paul with us. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. That was VJ Vimu. You can follow him on Twitter at VJVEMU. That's VJ Vimu on twitter chris look i i know that new york sports they're not they're not hot right now it's just not a good state of affairs i mean the knicks suck the nets suck jets suck giants suck mets suck yankees were a total letdown but on the bright side it's not DePaul bad yeah no matter how bad you think your team is you can always look toward the windy city and you can find DePaul university and you'll realize that it's just it, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, they're they're hurting real bad over there. Hopefully, for VJ's sake, they can turn themselves around. This next biggie school, they're in the middle of turning themselves around. The John Thompson three era did not go over so well. It was a rocky transition, but hey, they got Patrick Ewing in there, and I think that's made everyone happy for a little bit. 
But what do I know? I'm on the outside looking in. I think we're on the better side of the Georgetown Nova rivalry. So let's let's go behind enemy lines and let's welcome Bobby Bancroft to the show. He is repping Casual Hoya, the SB Nation Georgetown affiliate here at State of the Nova Nation today. Bobby, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Season's almost here. We just had media day over here down in uh, Georgetown. So it actually feels like it's, you know, it's it's right here. So last year was Patrick Ewing's first year as a collegiate head coach. What would you say is your report card evaluation for him so far? Uh, I, obviously, I feel like it'd have to be incomplete. I guess that's not really a great answer. Um, they got off to a great start. They didn't, you know, as we know, they taught the schedule was nothing to brag about. He didn't have a, he didn't have a great roster. And obviously as a first year coach, that's not your fault. Um, They actually were ahead in a lot of games against teams that went on to go to the NCAA tournament and Georgetown's big thing. And they they focused on it on media day was they just, they just couldn't close stuff out. So I think as a first year coach, if you don't include how they scheduled, I think as far as in games, I'd say he's probably like a C plus. Yeah, just from from an outsider looking in, Bobby, it, it kind of seemed that, that Ewing had a big impact on on the big men, especially Jesse Govan. He uh, was able to average seventeen point nine points per game and ten boards, so double double right there. Uh, how what do you expect from him this year? How scary is he going to be? Well, it's going to be interesting because, as you know, um, we had Georgetown had two big men. They had Marcus Derrickson, who could also go outside and do a lot of damage, and he left early. Uh, Ewing actually admitted that, you know, I asked him about how important it was for Derrickson. Actually, he's in, he got a two-way contract with the Warriors. And, you know, he Govan had someone else to take the load off. So this year, when you look at Georgetown, other than the internet sensation Mac McClung, I think Jesse Govan's going to be a pretty marked man. So it's going to be interesting. He is a senior. College basketball doesn't have a lot of seniors. Usually guys are gone when they have numbers like Jesse Govan did. So we're really going to see what he's all about because he's going to be the focal point of everyone all the time. And I think last year, Marcus Erickson took took a lot of that away from him. Yeah, with Erickson gone, that that's a pretty big piece you guys lost. But do you see anybody stepping up in his absence at all this year? Yeah, so they actually had two guys. You know, um, Ewing was able to bring in a kid that had committed to Ole Miss, and I forget exactly why he ended up not going to Ole Miss. But Jamar- Jamarco Pickett probably, and even last year with Derrickson on the team, Probably their best pro prospect. He sort of has a he sort of, you know, he's not Kevin Durant. You know, we always talk about how he's got sort of Kevin Durant-ish type stuff going on, particularly his his, his body type. But I think I think Jamarco Pickett, who was a first team all big East freshman player, I think he's got the potential to break out. And I would say he's probably their their top NBA prospect. Yeah, I was a big fan of Pickett and also Javon Blair. Yeah. I thought they were both pretty solid, especially as freshmen. Oh, absolutely. And Javon Blair was an interesting guy because the guards last year was they had like a fifth-year transfer in Trey Dickerson. They had a JUCO guy that JT3 had brought in the year before, Jonathan Mulmore. And they just they just weren't – they were great guys. They tried their best. They just weren't, you know, top-level Big East guards. And Javon Blair came in, um, kid not a lot of people knew about from Canada – and he never started, but when he came in, it was not hard for him to get shots off. And that's, he ended up averaging just under 10 points a game and that got him on the first team all biggie. So I would expect him not to start again, but he's sort of, he's just instant offense. He comes in and it doesn't matter how long he's been sitting. He's able to, he's able to get his shots up. He's actually, you know, he's, he's not just getting shots up. He's uh, making shots. You touched upon him a little bit, but Mac McClung, we've seen yeah. the dunks. We've seen the videos. We've also seen the recruiting rankings. Is he for real? So 
from where I am in the Washington, D.C. area, he played about as far away in Virginia as you can get. If you're familiar with Virginia, he was right there on, like, the Tennessee border. And while his highlights were incredible, it looked like he was playing against guys that are probably never going to see the light of a, of a D3 school. So you got you got to be a little bit a little bit hesitant. But then when he came and played in the Georgetown, the Kenner League, if you guys have heard of that, he was still doing those types of things. And I think he's going to be a case of a kid from a small town that I think Georgetown finally got one of these gems. And I don't expect him to, you know, be dunking on everyone in, in the Big East, but he sort of has, of all the players on the team, he sort of has that old Georgetown traits about him that, you know, Patrick Ewing teams as far as he's just he's just going to be in, in everyone's face, you know, not to play on the um, – the mascot, but he's kind of like in your face bulldog kind of guy. So I think, I think he's going to go really well. Um, but yeah, there, everyone is sort of, you know, there's very cautious around here. Everyone wants him to be incredible. You know, there's a reason he was going to Rutgers, you know, which we know is not exactly, that's not where the high level talent's going, but I think he's got Georgetown fans probably as excited as any player in a long time, probably since, probably since Otto Porter. All right, Bobby, just want to take a step back away from the Georgetown team for a bit, but how do you feel about, Villanova these days. Do you appreciate seeing them going out and winning two national titles, repping the Big East, or do you just don't care and any it's literally anybody else but Villanova? Yeah, you know, as someone as someone that's I've been um a follower of George Island since I was a kid, and I don't want to give away how old I am, but when you know, when you digest this as a fan and then you start covering teams and you get in the media and this and that, you know, I, I think the Villanova angle, it's great that they're 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 carrying more than their weight in the conference, and I think when the conference started, the conference started in an in after a Georgetown game because at that point Georgetown was playing at a higher level than Villanova, and you know Villanova and Georgetown were supposed to be the corner pieces, and Georgetown has not lived up to their end of the bargain at all, and Villanova Villanova has done an incredible job of leading the conference, but at some point whether it's Georgetown, whether it's Xavier, whether St. John's figures it out, someone needs to help. And I, I know that the league has done a good job of getting, you know, five, six, even seven teams into, into the NCAA tournament. But what Villanova has done is it's, it's, it's been pretty unbelievable. And I think for the league, you know, it has to be a good thing. If you're Georgetown, you want that next TV contract. You know, if you're, you know, if you're Seton Hall, if you're all these teams. So I think what, I think that what they've done is, is great. Now that doesn't mean I don't think the teams of those, the, the fans of those teams shouldn't be sitting around rooting for Villanova, but it's hard to look at what they've done and be upset about it. So I'd like to know your prediction. Georgetown heads to Nova on February 3rd, and then they'll host Nova on February 20th. How do you think this season series will go? Do you see a sweep either way, or do you think the series will be split in half? I mean, after what we saw last year, that was probably the most, I mean, I was, fumbling through the media guide trying to figure out what Georgetown's worst ever loss Villanova massacre up here at the Capital One Arena this year. I think until further notice, I think it's probably going to be a sweep. I would expect the games to be more competitive. I mean, Villanova has a complete wildcard team, as we know. We don't know a whole lot about Georgetown. But I think for Georgetown, it's not even really about competing with Villanova because they're at such a high level. It's can you be better than Seton Hall? Can you be better than Providence? Um, But I think everyone is very anxious for the Georgetown-Villanova rivalry at some point to mean something again, because it hasn't for a little bit here. But yes, I would, I would, I would predict a Villanova sweep at the moment, but more, more competitive. I also think the cat sweep the Hoyas, Chris, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I'm with Bobby on this one. Uh, more competitive games for sure. Georgetown's definitely getting there. 
but uh, still a couple years away, I think. Uh, I think Villanova sweeps. Bobby, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your time with us here at the State of the Nova Nation. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'll see you guys. You can follow Bobby at R-H-B-A-N-C-R-O-F-T, R-H Bancroft on Twitter, all one word, no spaces. And, of course, he's a part of Casual Hoya, which I'll be honest is a pretty good Twitter follow. They just an existential crisis over there. Not as bad as UConn. It's gotten better in recent years. But, uh, yeah, Casual Hoya, pretty good SB Nation affiliate. Not as good as VU Hoops. This next team, though, it's looking like a potential challenger for Nova. Chris, it's I guess it's your second favorite Big East team. Would you say it's your, I don't know how you feel about them. I know, I know you have a, a little little love, a little love for Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, I have a little love for Wisconsin. I wouldn't say they're my second favorite Big East team. I would just say I'm probably most familiar with them outside of Villanova, just, just because of the whole Wisconsin thing, and I had a good friend who went there. So pretty familiar with the whole squad. Okay, okay. Good, good, good thing you cleared that up. We're glad to see that. You know, there is no, there is no close second. No, it's Nova all the way. No, not a big fan of the whole. Oh, I have a second favorite team type ordeal. I, I'm not a believer in that. Pick one team and you stick with it. Yeah, and that's totally the mo of our our guy who's about to come up, Sam Newberry. He's part of Anonymous Eagle, which is the Marquette SB Nation site. Ride or die, Marquette. As much as. The Big East is exciting to him. He hates Wisconsin more than anything. The Badgers, God, don't talk to him about the Badgers. Thankfully, we only have to talk to him about the Big East, but uh, he would not do this if we were on Bucky's fifth quarter or whatever that SB Nation site is. Sam Newberry has landed in the studio. He is with Big East Coast Bias, also writes for the Anonymous Eagle, and he is one of the captains of their new podcast. Congrats on your new show. How do you like podcasting so far? Well, I've actually been podcasting for a while. Um, I do one with another buddy of mine about music, too. So I was used to it. And then uh, one of the other writers at Anonymous Eagle approached me about restarting the Anonymous Eagle podcast. It was a thing way back in the day. Gone dormant for a while and we decided to restart it because both of us had interest in doing it. It's 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 been fun. It's nice to be able to actually talk about college basketball and not just write about it. So Marquette was ranked second in the preseason poll right behind Nova. There was hype surrounding the returning talent. Obviously, Marcus Howard, lights out shooter. Give me some reasons why this team would finish ahead of Nova and claim the Big East crown. I mean, this team is Nova light, uh, or at least last year's Nova light. You know, we have some big guys that can really work down low if they need to, but also we have a lot of positionless basketball going on. You know, we don't have an Eric Pascal, but we do have a Sam Hauser. I think that's two slightly different skill sets, but definitely very similar, like linchpin glue guys who can hit outside shots, but can also make things happen on the interior. Um, Hauser's probably more of a shooter than, say, Eric Pascal is. Pascal's probably more of a versatile all-around player. You know, we have a great front court, Marcus Howard and Joseph Chartuni, sort of a great one-two combo. And we're just deep. It's weird that I remember a couple of years ago, Marquette had, you know, we were playing eight rotation guys and that was it. Now we, we can legitimately go 11, 12, 13, maybe if we have to 13 deep. And that's kind of nice to see, you know, we have most of our minutes returning. We probably have a net gain in Andrew Rousey not being back because we don't have to play two guards that push five ten on a good day. And while we lose his offense, we, we become more balanced. And so, I mean, we're looking for a team that's going to, hopefully score in a hurry, play good defense. Well, you know, Marquette hasn't been able to do that, but hopefully it takes a step this year. 
play average to good defense and, you know, in, at any point can just go lights out from three and beat anybody. Um, that That's how I see them beating Nova if possible. Yeah, I have to ask, offense, three-point shooting has been the MO. Do you think there's enough firepower here to distract you from defense? Uh, I mean, I think it's a little bit more balanced this year. We did lose, you know, noted three-point and the foul specialist, Andrew Rossi, like I said. We gained Joey Hauser, who can is very much like his older brother, Sam. Better inside presence a little bit. Still a little bit more of a work in progress, although he's a good shooter um, from outside. He was a higher-ranked recruit than his older brother, drawing comparisons to Henry Allenson, for better or for worse, but definitely as a collegiate player, that's good. Ed Morrow from Nebraska is now eligible, so he is you know, a, not quite Angel Delgado, but a black hole of rebounding um, and a, a good, smooth interior scorer who can also hit a jump shot. So you, you would hope that with the pickup of Morrow and Chartouni from Fordham, who's a elite maybe pushing it, but definitely a very good perimeter defender. I, I don't see as much of a scary bad defense this year. I mean, it was, we were like 182nd in the country last year. We have to be better than that this year. But the offense is always fun to watch because you have eight guys on that can hit a three at any one time, possibly nine. That's uh, not something that it, most teams can boast. Yeah, so with the immor- immortal Uh, Andrew Rousey finally graduating, felt like he was there forever. Who do you see stepping up this year? I mean, Sakara Annam had a big game against Creighton last year in that game. uh, Howard got hurt. I mean, Jamal Kane and Greg Elliott in some limited time had had some uh, flashes in the pan there of brilliance. Uh, Who do you expect stepping up this year? Obviously, you have the two Housers uh, in addition to Marcus Howard. They're both, they're similar players, but can each bring something slightly different, and they're both going to be very good. A lot of rumblings about Brendan Bailey. He's a, a freshman, but actually should have been a freshman two years ago with uh, Sam Hauser and Marcus Howard. He took his Mormon mission for two years, uh, son of NBA player Thurl Bailey. Tall, lanky, athletic, can shoot, really pretty looking pull-up jump shot. Uh, Sakar in, so Marquette played uh, two nights ago against a local D3 school in an exhibition, and Sakar looked like the best player on the floor. Maybe it was just the fact that he's the most athletic player on the team besides maybe Jamal Kane. But um, his slashing has only gotten better. He's gotten more consistent from outside. And he's really turned into a very versatile offensive and defensive weapon for Marquette. So I think the biggest jump will probably be Sakar Annam in terms of national name. But uh, Joey Hauser will be right behind him. And I think that sort of that group of Sakar, Joey, Sam, and then Marcus Howard will form the core of how Marquette gets their points this year. So obviously with you guys being ranked second in the Big East uh, preseason poll, expectations are high for you guys this year. If my, my friend who went to Marquette keeps telling me that if Wojo doesn't get this team to the, the tournament this year, he should his seat should definitely be warm or even fired. Do you have the same viewpoint there? Do you view his seat as warm? And if like no, if there's no improvement this year or you guys missed the NCAA tournament, should he be canned? I've never been on the fire Wojo train. Um, I think he is a great ambassador for Marquette. He's definitely represented us well. Th- this is this is like a lukewarm seat year where he has the expectations, and if he he fails, then they're going to crank up the heat on him. Um, but I don't think that if they miss the tournament this year, he, he's gone. Um, I think you really have to do something horrendous to to be gone um, after this year. It will be a huge disappointment. But I mean, Mark Marquette's for the last few years uh, has always had to say, well, maybe next year. Next year they have Kobe McEwen, the really talented Utah State transfer coming in, who looks like the most physically dominating guard Marquette's had in a long time. So 
there's really still a next year thing with, you know, assuming Marcus Howard returns and Sam Hauser returns, you know, I think next year, if anything is the make or break year, I, I think Wojo will live up to expectations this year and I don't think it'll be a problem, but this is the year where the seat could get very hot, but it won't be leading to a firing after this year. It's I think next year's the put up or shut up year. You guys have the brand new Fiserv form. And you guys will be hosting Nova on February 9th. And then the Golden Eagles will come to Philly on February 27th. I have to ask, how do you think this season series is going to unfold? Do you see it being split? Do you see one side sweeping the other? How do you see it? So we just did our schedule uh, podcast that I just recorded for Anonymous Eagle. I have Nova sweeping Marquette right now until somebody proves me otherwise. Nova is going to be the best team in the conference. Um, Javon Quinterly looks like the best, obviously he won preseason freshman of the year, but he looks truly like the best freshman the conference will have. You guys got Joe Cremo from Albany, who's going to be a very solid veteran presence. Um, if Phil Booth can stay healthy, if Eric Pascal uh, can continue to perform, I just, I don't see a way that Marquette can out Nova Nova. And, uh, you know, we, we did pull off the shocking upset two years ago, but that was really on the back of some truly extraordinary performances. And, uh, yeah, I think until one of the teams proves otherwise, so if Marquette goes undefeated in non-conference and is just torching through the Big East and they look like one of the best teams in the nation, then maybe I'd say something else. But until I'm proven otherwise, I think it's a season sweep in favor of Nova. Okay, okay. I actually think the Golden Eagles will beat Nova at the Pfizer Forum, and then I think Nova will beat Marquette in the rubber match. Chris, what say you? Yeah, I'm going with a split here as well with uh, both teams winning their respective home games. Isn't the uh, Villanova game National Marquette Day for you guys this year? Yes, it it is, is, which is tough for Nova. But um, I don't know. It's just, like I said, until somebody proves to me that Nova can be beaten with any sort of consistency or until somebody proves to me that Marquette is, you know, a top 10, top 15 team in the country, I'd – it's weird that the Nova fans are calling a split and the Marquette fan here is saying it's going to be a season sweep, but yeah, it just, I, I need to be proven wrong. Uh, so I, I would certainly love for us to be Nova at home. I would, I don't see, think there's any way they go to Philadelphia and beat Villanova, but um, it would, it would be nice. I just don't foresee it. It's, it's, it was definitely not a lock of a pick to say, Oh yeah, Marquette's going to win in Milwaukee. And there you have it. Sam Newberry thinks that Nova will sweep the Golden Eagles while Chris and I remain fearful of the three-point machine that is Marquette. Yeah, that's fair, fair enough. I mean, I, I certainly hope you guys are right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of want you to be right. I, I kind of like your take a little more. Uh, Sam, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. Yeah, not a problem, man. Anytime. You follow Sam at S-N-E-W-B-22 on Twitter. Nova Light. I never, I never thought of that. I guess that's that's pretty true. Except they don't play defense, so I guess that would be the light version of Nova. Yeah, for sure. We all know how deadly that offense is, as Sam just highlighted to us. But defense is always going to be a concern with them. It has been for the past couple of years. But yeah, I guess that does make them a light version. But if they can somehow lock down on the defensive end, they'll be in pretty good shape this year. Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to see how Nova deals with them, especially at the new Pfizer form. But outside of that, I mean. Hey, this next team, it is election day, so I guess it's only fitting that we're talking to the one and only Friartown Mayor, who has defended this title because I think the first time he ran 
was the only time they did it. And so since he won, no one's ever dethroned him. So he is the Friartown mayor, Danny McNamara. He's going to talk to us about the Friars. Graduated from Providence back in 2013, did some writing back in his day, but now he is just a full-time ride-or-die Providence fan. Used to be a part of the Friar Fanatics. Danny, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you guys for having me on today. Excited excited to be here to talk some Big East, Big East hoops before the season begins. Just looking at the Big East preseason rankings, the Friars were picked third right behind Nova and Marquette. What are your expectations and thoughts on this year's Friars? Yeah, so it's being picked third. It's the, the highest ranking, preseason ranking that uh, one of Cooley's Providence teams has had. Um, and I think that comes with a couple of things. I think that's renewed leadership that that he has still with Alpha Diallo and Emmett Holt coming back, but also um, probably his his most balanced recruiting class. I, I would say that uh, his 2012 class of Chris Dunn and Ricky Lito was probably had more kind of firepower from the from the get go, uh, at least from a fan perspective. But I think this year's class of uh, David Duke, AJ Reeves, Jimmy Nichols, and Chris Monroe, I think it's it's probably his most balanced class of yet. And I think with that young leaders, young, young guards kind of transitioning with the leaders on the team, I think it's, it's kind of a, a well-balanced team from one to 10. I, I would say there's uh Friar fans are hoping to see 10 guys play. And I think that's, that's not even counting Drew Edwards who has the biggest pass in Providence history in the last five years when they beat USC in the first round. So I think this, I think from, from top to bottom, I think there's, there's a lot of possibilities, a lot of different lineup choices that he can go with. And I think that's something that he's excited about. And I know the fans are excited about because Steph hasn't, hasn't been there in his tenure. There's been injuries and transfers throughout his, his first few years under his leadership. But I think now it's, it's kind of his whole team is, is kind of his guys and uh, guys that his, that, that they've wanted all along. And I think that's uh that's a big testament to the program and where it's where it's come from. And I think this year, hopefully, it can kind of culminate into taking the next step and hopefully winning some games in March and, and building on that going forward. When I think of Providence, I think of good guard play. Um, yeah. You've had Bryce Cotton, Chris Dunn, Kyron Cartwright, back to back to back. So you've had some really strong guards in these past couple of years. Um, but as of right now, it kind of looks like it may be on the down, downturn there. I mean, you had Makai, Ashton Langford, who struggled a bit last year. Malik White didn't really log a lot of minutes to provide a true sample size. But now you're bringing in David Duke, A.J. Reeves. As you mentioned, headlines a strong freshman class. But is there a bit of a worry now in Friarland about the guard play this year? Yeah, that's a fair point. All those guys you mentioned, it was kind of a smooth transition. Like one was leaving and the next guy was coming in as a junior or uh, kind of a, a sophomore who played a lot. Um and I think this year, people are hoping that with Makai, he'll he'll kind of pick up where he left off in his mass rivals AAU days, playing alongside David and AJ. But I think, again, you have a, a upperclassman now in Malik White, who has the opportunity to kind of take the next step and, and to see what he can do being one of those veteran guards uh, for Cooley. And I think, like you said, I mean, there's it's going even all the way back to Vincent Council, who's the all-time biggest assist leader. I mean, he's Cooley's always had a guy who he can trust to kind of put out there and run his offense. Um, and I think this year it's, it's kind of going to be by committee. I mean, like you said, it, David's coming in, he's kind of the hometown guy. And I think people right away are going to expect him to do big things. Um, but I think his, his ability to kind of play off the ball, um, maybe with Makai a little bit, will kind of help uh, both of them um, in, in some, in some respects. But I think there's optimism, but also, 
um, a little cautiousness to to kind of see what we have. And I and I think um, even to to kind of put out there, Alpha Diallo can kind of run the guard spot. He can he can kind of facilitate things from a point forward perspective. So it's going to be by committee. It's not going to be one guy like. You're not going to have Chris Dunn or Kyron Carrot out there running the whole show. It's going to be a few different guys, and I think it's it's trial by fire. Who's who's most prepared and 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 ready to go when when things heat up in in February and March? Alpha Diallo, Emmett Holt is now healthy. Had a promising season before being sidelined with that abdominal injury. We also know about the talented freshman coming in, but who else should Biggie's fans watch out for in this Friar squad? I think Isaiah Jackson is is someone who's. Uh, a little underlooked and undervalued, not within the Providence fan base, but maybe a little bit within the Big East and, and nationally as well. I mean, he's a guy who came in from George Mason as a transfer and kind of the jack-of-all-trades type of player. He's got great length. He's about 6'8". He can kind of play anywhere from 2 to 5. I know last year he played a lot at the 4 spot when Cooley went small and Bullock was at the 5. So I think this year you can maybe expect some similar things with him out there. I mean, he's really kind of makes a name for himself on defense he's a he's kind of a glue guy that Cooley has out there and I think he's also someone who who's worked on his offensive game as well he's shown he's can hit the three and I think that's that's another big thing this year this this without without Lindsay and, and even Bullock from from behind the arc there's kind of a question mark is who's gonna who's gonna be able to score from outside for a team that even struggled mightily last year shooting the three so now now it's kind of Again, by committee, who's who's going to be the guy that can hit behind the arc, guard your wings, and someone who can also battle down low? Because uh, again, I, with Holt coming back, he's he's not as big as he was two years ago, but he'll still play down low. But he's more of now kind of like a a wing forward per se, instead of someone who's going to be down low. So I think having Isaiah who can kind of play all over the place and is is a senior now, so. He'll be relied on a lot for Cooley, and I think that's that's someone who's going to get a lot of minutes early on, and I think someone who's going to be relied on heavily early on with a, with a young team. So to tie this into Villanova, Providence and Nova played two really good games last year, one being at the dunk where Providence was able to pull off the upset, and also, as everybody knows, the 2018 Big East final. So Jay Wright recently said, if Ed Cooley kept his pants on, he'd probably <laughs> win that game. What are your thoughts on uh, Towelgate? So Towelgate is uh, it's a it's a bit of a sore subject for me, but uh, I I think uh, like you said, it was a tremendous game, and um, obviously him ripping his pants didn't have much to do with it because Cartwright did miss an elbow jumper to to win the game um, at the end of regulation. I think from there it kind of blew up. I mean, he was on he was on Barstool Sports, he was on part of my take, and even today I th- I think they're doing uh they're giving out towels for the opening game against Siena for the first 2000 students so it's it's kind of segwayed even into this year but I mean that's kind of who he is he's just going to go with it he's not a guy who's going to really care if his pants rip or his, his jacket usually is off by by halftime at most big games so he's not really concerned about that he's just out there to win games but I I, I mean it's all it's all fun it's it's all great and I think that's kind of what makes the biggies great with with these games and these uh, kind of rivalries going forward, I think it's it just adds to the storylines. Whoever came up with the towel giveaway, that's that's pretty clever. <laughs> yes. So prediction time. Providence will have a big weekend game when it hosts Nova on January 5. Then they'll meet again in Philly on February 13th. How do you see this season series shaping out? Do you see a sweep for one team or do you see both teams splitting it? 
I th- I think we'll see another split. Um, I think uh, I think the the January fifth matchup I think is going to be a lot of fun because it's kind of right in the beginning of Big East play. Um, I think the last few years they haven't really played in the kind of the beginning of the Big East slate. Um, so I think the the matchup everyone wants to see is Jelly Fam versus David Duke, the hometown guy. So I think it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. And I think I mean. Cornelly and Duke have kind of played against each other in the past, familiar with each other. So that's that's a big freshman matchup right away. Two guys who are the, the preseason Big East freshman of the year candidates. So I think it'll be a split. I think um, the dunk is always a fun place to play, tough place to play. And, and the same goes for playing down at Nova. It'll again be a split and hopefully we'll get another another good game in, uh, at the Garden in March. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I got this as a split as well. I just think the dunk is a really tough place to play. As I've been saying pretty much throughout the entire previews, uh, I still think Villanova wins at home. I, I just like their home court advantage there. And uh, like I said, Providence is pretty good this year, and I, I think going on the road there will be a tough task. And they are they are possibly trying to add a $1 beer night game. So that could be one of the games, so that would even make it a little more difficult for the opposing team. <laughs> so it's an already... Yeah. Uh, an already feisty fan base up there. Danny, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on to the State of the Nova Nation. And thanks for chatting with us. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, hope to chat throughout the year. Have a good one, guys. You can follow Danny at Friartown Mayor, all one word. Yeah, hopefully we get to see another classic between uh, Villanova and Providence in the Garden this year in the Big East Tournament. Yeah, it seems to always be a pretty good one whenever they meet in March, especially at the Garden. And I think this next team... They're definitely going to come out full force this year at MSG or Carnesec Arena. St. John's, I mean, they've been – they were probably the biggest media darling outside of Villanova at Big East Media Day. There's certainly a lot of hype. I'm sure all the fans have been talking about this season. At the eye of the storm is Ricky Keeler, who is the podcast owner of the St. John's Basketball Breakdown. About to return the favor right now. We're joined by Ricky Keeler, the co-host of the St. John's Basketball Breakdown over at ESNY. Ricky had me on his show back in March to preview the Big East tournament and to chat about the Johnnies. And now he's joining us here at State of the Nova Nation to talk about St. John's and how their season's looking. Ricky, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eugene. Happy to talk to you again. Yeah, it's good Good to reconnect right now. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of hype going into the season. Shamori Ponds, Big East preseason player of the year. Mustafa Heron comes in, high quality transfer from Auburn, and he's clear to play. Is this the year that St. John's finally puts it all together? I think it has to be the year. To me, this is a terminer bust kind of season. Last year, I thought it was more NIT or bust because they weren't quite ready to take that next step. But the way they play late down the stretch gives you a lot of optimism going into this season. They added Heron. They added a guy like LJ Figueroa, a transfer that can give them instant offense off the bench. They have a lot of good depth at the guard position. Another transfer like Mikey Dixon coming in. And at least now I think they have more options on offense to take some of the weight off of Shamori Ponds where he doesn't have to play 40 minutes a night. Like you can use Justin Simon a little bit on the ball. You can use Heron. Marvin Clark is a good stretch option at the forward position. Their only weakness, I think, is size. Uh, Three Goins is gone now. He's at Texas Tech. So Sadiq Kate is going to have to really fill some of those big-time minutes down low. But this is a team I think that should improve on offense, and they already were one of the better defensive teams in the conference. So while I don't think they're the Big East favorite, I think they should definitely be a tournament team for the season to be successful. Yeah, Ricky, it looks like St. John's is definitely going to improve on last year's record uh, of 16 and 17. But you guys had some big wins in there, uh, most notably against Duke. That was probably one of my favorite games last year. 
and at Villanova. But the thing was with with those with that record, there were a lot of games in there that I felt that could have gone St. John's way. It was just the ball just didn't bounce right, and you know you had some tough losses in there. What do you think St. John's has to do to avoid instances like that, and how can it manage to be better during uh, late game situations? That's what I thought last year. They were doing a lot of learning how to win, and I think that's always key for a young team is trying to get over that next step because they were in almost every game. They were could have beaten Xavier twice potentially last year. Big East tournament not included, but uh, they lost a couple of close ones to Georgetown that they maybe should have got. And I think the key to that this year, Chris, just finding some other offensive options where, yes, Pons is your go-to guy down the stretch, but maybe you put the ball in Simon's hands if his shots improve. Maybe now Heron gets more big shots like he had at Auburn. Maybe Marvin Clark gets more shots. Like you're not putting all the pressure on one player to do everything. And obviously with the Marcus Levet injury last year, that put a lot more on Pons. I think Chris Mullen and the staff wanted to put on him at that point, but he obviously w- took that next step. My favorite was the breaking the Karnaseka Arena scoring record against Marquette. Uh, he obviously has the ability to do that, but I don't. Th- I think you want to preserve down the stretch. The, I think the conference record winning those close games this year is going to be huge because their non-conference outside of that Duke matchup this year is bad. Uh, there's not really a great marquee team that's going to be that big selection committee kind of win. They really just have more opportunities to have bad losses. So they have to find a way at the very least, I think, to come out of that non-conference with as few losses as possible. Two years ago, it was a clear one-two punch with Pons and Levette in the backcourt. But now, obviously, Levette is gone. And as you mentioned, there was just a lot on Pons' shoulders throughout the season. Who do you think can give him some consistent help this year? Is it a matter of there being another right-hand man, or is it, going to be by committee last year we saw sometimes it was justin simon who played very well down the stretch in the regular season and in the biggest tournament sometimes it was marvin clark maybe this year it'll be mustafa heron do you think it's a matter of it just being another go-to guy or will it just be everyone being able to step in and support ponds i think if it's going to be a successful effort as a team i think you have to have everybody chip in a little bit where some nights Heron has to be the guy, some nights Clark has to be the guy. For me, the bulk of the pressure when Pons comes off the court, I think you want to keep Justin Simon there as that floor general that can be that player that distributes the ball, which he does extremely well. He's one of their better rebounders. So if he runs the second team offense for a few minutes when Pons gets a breather, that can at least prevent those 16-2 droughts that they get in last year where they had leads and then the offense would kind of just go on spells of a lot of missed shots and then you have a four point lead turn into a 12 point deficit really easily. But I think, like I said earlier, the guy that I would keep an eye on is LJ Figueroa. uh, One of the top Juco transfers. He is really good on the wings, shooting the ball. He was one of their better performers in their recent exhibition game. Yes, it's exhibition. You can't take a lot from it, but I think Mullen and the staff are going to rely on him for some of that offense off the bench. Uh, like I said, Mikey Dixon's another guy that can provide that. We'll see if Brian Trimble even takes the next step and maybe add some more offensive games. So at the very least, I think what helps this team, guys, is there's more depth. They're not worrying about having only to play six guys this year. I think they could go eight or nine deep and at least spell some guys when they get into foul trouble as opposed to last year where you have to take more chances because you can't afford to take guys off the floor. Do you think that depth is good enough to get them to the NCAA tournament this year? To me, I have them, like, I think the uh, preseason poll got it right. I think they're like a fourth, fifth place team in the Big East, which, while the Big East isn't what it used to be, it's still pretty deep. But I think they're definitely, with with their guard play, 
I think they're a tournament team. Their defense shouldn't become worse than it was last year. I think it was one of the better defensive teams. If they can just add more consistent offense, which they should, they have more options, I think, to score. This team should be in the tournament conversation. When you have a, a first or second team All-American in Shimori Ponds in the preseason Biggies player of the year, when you add a guy like Heron into the mix, when you have that continuity now that they have on offense, I don't see how this can't be a tournament team. And if it's not a tournament team, then the hot seat's on Chris Mullen because they have to find a way to sort of get some positivity going if he's going to keep his job long-term. I'm totally with you on that. I thought that this St. John's team, especially last year, defense was excellent. They were very good defensively, especially defending the perimeter. I know Villanova definitely saw it in that loss at the Wells Fargo Center. But I have to ask you now, for the 2018-19 season, do you see the season series being split again, or do you see a sweep going either way? Yeah, that was one of those strange games. I think that was, I think, one of the biggest surprises in college basketball last year that St. John somehow went on the road to Villanova and won that game. I, I was absolutely in shock. I could see it being a split. I mean, St. John's pushed Villanova at home even last year. So maybe if, if it's one of those nights where the Garden gets into it and this team is playing well, it, it all depends, I think, on how the Big East stretch goes. If St. John's gets on another rough start to the Big East season, then maybe Villanova has a better chance to sweep that series season series if the Wildcats could sort of find a way to gel without some of their top guys from last year. But I think the odds are good for at least a split where both teams went on their home floor. I, I, for me, St. John's has to get off to that big, consistent start out of the gate. And I think their biggest test is going to be that New Year's Day game against Marquette. I, I'm a big fan of Marquette with Howard and Hauser shooting the three. Uh, they're a team, I think, that can provide instant offense. Uh, their defense isn't great, but they're one of the better scoring teams in the league. So if St. John's, I think that first big test for them is Marquette. If they can clear that hurdle, they should be able to have a much better start to the Big East this season. Well, let's face it, after what they started off last year, not winning a game for the first month or so in the conference, you can't really start off worse than Interesting you say season split. I also think that the season series will be split 1-1 either way, but I actually think that the two teams will win on the road. I think Nova wins at the Garden, and I think that the Johnnies will catch Nova sleeping on a Tuesday night. Winter break, all the students will be at home, not at the Wells Fargo Center. So I think it'll be just a repeat of last year. I'm feeling an exact carbon copy. Well, it's one of those things where I think where it all depends on which – out of the two NBA-style arenas are filled up. If the Garden's filled up, then it gives St. John's, I think, a good home court advantage. If it's not, and like you said, with Villanova with the winter break, if they're not uh, to full capacity, then, yeah, that definitely gives both teams a better chance to win on the road than opposed to at home. Yeah, I got this as a split as well, uh, except I have both teams winning their home respective home games. And I like what you said, Ricky, about you know the home crowd at MSG. I, I think that the uh, St. John's fans sense something is kind of forming here. And I think that if they get off to a good start in the regular season, in the Big East uh, regular season, I think they're going to show up to that Nova game and get very loud and very intense. And I think that might be able to propel uh, St. John's over Villanova. And I know MSG is basically the second home for Villanova, but uh, yeah, I I could see St. John's fans being uh, pretty hyped for that game, especially if they start off well. But to be fair, even for St. John's, their Carneseca Arena home court, I think has gotten a lot better. When you look at how they played last year, I mean, easily the fans could be disappointed after not meeting expectations with everything that went wrong, but they were selling out the place. They were being packed. I think that last home game against Butler, where they found a way to win, I think the fans were definitely into it. And I think everybody's just looking to get behind a New York local basketball team. So St. John's give them anything to get behind. The Knicks aren't any good. The Nets aren't any good. 
So maybe St. John provides that extra lift. But I think especially now they added a new AD and Mike Craggett in the mix. I think that adds a little bit of more optimism to this year. It seems like there's more stability, which is a good thing. If they can stay healthy, I, I think this is a chance, maybe not to win the Big East, but I think they'll definitely be in that conversation. And you look at this conference, it, it's wide open. I mean, Villanova still, I think, is the favorite. But you could see any of a number of four or five teams really in that conversation. And as we've seen the last couple of years, when it comes down to that last week, Big East seeding seems to be always up for grabs because these teams are always so close. There you have it. Ricky, thanks for coming on. I know I will be at that February 17 game at Madison Square Garden. As a fan, I'm looking forward to that Sunday afternoon game. Ricky, thanks again for joining us, and thank you for your time. Absolutely happy to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. You can follow Ricky at Rickinator555, R-I-C-K-I-N-A-T-O-R-555. Next up, we are going to cross the Hudson, go down to Newark, to Seton Hall, we don't need we don't they don't need an entrance. We already know what their deal is. We know how we feel about them, how they definitely feel about us. Probably more stronger feelings than we feel for them. But there's only one way to find out, so we're gonna bring on Matt Ambrose, who closely follows the men's and women's basketball team. We're joined now by Matt Ambrose, the sports director over at 89.5 WSOU, the flagship station covering Seton Hall men's and women's basketball teams. Matt, thank you for coming on to the show. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So it's been a recurring theme, and we've talked to some of the other Big East representatives on this episode. Look, just looking around the conference, the loss of key players. Outside of Villanova, I think Seton Hall was definitely rocked the hardest. Miles Powell is the only one left from a core four that no longer has Kadeen Carrington, Angel Delgado, and Desi Rodriguez. What is the current state of the Seton Hall team? I think this is going to be really more of a transitional year for this team. I mean, you mentioned it with Carrington, Delgado, Rodriguez, even Ishmael Sanogo. Uh, all four of them are gone. And you look at the key returners, and Powell is obviously the go-to guy. Uh, Michael Enzi will get starting minutes as well. But Powell is really the guy on this team right now. You got a lot of new blood. You got a couple new freshmen with Anthony Nelson and Jared Roden that, I mean, they, they've got skills, but how much can you really expect from them uh, right out of the gate? Uh, high hopes are there for Torian Thompson as well, a sophomore who originally was in the running to go to Seton Hall before he went to Syracuse and then ultimately transferred. Uh, but right now, Miles Powell is the guy on this team. His game has developed a lot throughout the last couple of years. And uh, Kevin Willard is going to be looking to the junior now uh, who's came in as a catch and shoot guy last year was able to put the ball on the floor a lot more. Uh, and they're just looking to him to see what more he can bring to the table this year. Cause I mean, they're picked eighth in the preseason poll uh, talking to some of them at, they had their, uh, their media day just a couple of days ago on Thursday and just talking to them. They, they think that's a low ranking for them. They think they can play better than that this year. Uh, and they're going out to prove it. Speaking of Torian Thompson, he's obviously a transfer from Syracuse who sat out last year. But you also got a guy in Quincy McKnight who came over from Sacred Heart University and basically did everything for Sacred Heart except for drive the bus to coach the team. Um, what can these guys bring to the table and can they help fill the, the gaps from the, the big three departures? Well, I th what I thought was interesting, and I think you guys will uh, feel like this one, talking to Miles Powell, we uh, 
asked him about Torian Thompson, what he's seen in uh, in the big man from practice so far. And he actually went as far to compare his skill set to Amore Thompson or Amore Spellman, excuse me. Um, singing at Torian Thompson. That caught me a little by surprise because of uh, Torian just coming in, got minutes at Syracuse, but not not a bulk of the minutes under uh, under Jim Beheim. But he's got an interesting skill set. He's a force down low. He can step out and hit the mid-range jumper, which is something that Kevin Willard's big men really haven't had the ability to do over the last couple of years. Delgado parked in the post. Uh, Sonogo really until the end of last year wasn't really an offensive threat. Um, with a guy like Thompson, you get that size, which is going to be a big factor for this team this year. That's going to how that's going to be how they're going to win games. Uh, but looking at McKnight, he averaged 19 a game uh, two years ago. His last year at Sacred Heart, uh, that led the team. And really, what people have said about him is the only thing that he'll have to work on is how is he how is he going to adjust to playing in in a new conference, playing in the Big East. The skills are there. Uh, the coaches and players have talked about how he's become really an on and off the court leader, uh, through just a couple of months practicing, uh, with the team here. Uh, but high, there's high hopes for Quincy McKnight. He's same size as, uh, as Kadeem Carrington, a six, four guard. Um, and just talking to him, he's been focusing more on becoming a score first or a pass first guard instead of a score first guard, which is where he was, uh, in his two years of sacred heart. So. He's been working on that in the offseason, and Thompson with the size. Uh, those could be huge factors for the team this year. In talking to the players and just asking around, have you asked them what their general feel, what their general vibe is on who they think can take a big step up this year? Or who's uh, looking my, really good so far? Miles Kale is one that they really talked about a lot because uh, coming in last year uh, out of Middletown, Delaware, he he's oozing with athleticism. And that was really his calling card last year. What we've seen with these players that have come through the system the last couple of years is some of them come in as freshmen and they're a little one-dimensional. For example, Miles Powell, when he was a freshman, he was really a three-point shooting guy and he really didn't do much else. Last year, he took a big step forward and was able to put the ball on the floor more, drive to the basket, and he became a more dynamic player. That's what these players are looking at Miles Kale to do this year. Last year, he was in the open court. He was very dangerous. Now he's developing a three-point shot. He's more confident with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's someone that that a lot of the players uh, were really high on uh, talking to them a couple of days ago. Same with uh, Sandra Mamu Kalashvili. He's grown. He's almost seven feet tall now. And he's another guy that the start of last year, it took him a while to get going. He, he had one good game at the beginning of last year against NJIT, and that was pretty much it until about halfway through conference play when he had a double-double against uh, a Xavier on Valentine's Day. Uh, he's someone that, at his size, is able to bring the ball up the floor. He can shoot from outside. We saw the three-point shot later in the year, but really Kale and Mamu Kalashvili are two guys that a lot of the other players are pretty high on uh, going into this year. They've done a lot this offseason to improve their games. And that's really been what everyone that's come through the system the last couple of years from their freshman year to the time they leave, their games have grown immensely. And those are two to look for this year. So Matt, this is a Villanova podcast. So we got to relate it to the Wildcats somehow. Jerry Carino of the Asbury Park Press tweeted out a couple weeks ago that the lower bowl of the rock was approaching being sold out. And the game is March 9th, that's towards the end of the Big East regular season. If not, I think that might be the final game. It, it's the last one, yep. It, yeah, it is the last game. So 
with regards to that, do you guys hate the cats as much as we think you do? I mean, I personally don't, I'm not a big fan of Seen Hall just because they're in my backyard, but do you guys hate Villanova just as much as, you know, maybe we hate Seton Hall? Is this a rivalry in your eyes? I think it is. It's tough to say. I mean, it's tough to speak for other fans. There are people who absolutely despise Villanova. I just like the novelty of it. Uh, I love that they open up the top deck just for one game a year, and it's that Villanova game. Uh, I think it's cool that it's on senior night this year for, uh, for our last home game of the regular season. But I think it's really developed over the last couple of years. Really, at the birth of the realignment of this conference, there there really wasn't a rivalry between these two schools. Um, and I don't think you have the distaste on Seton Hall's side to Villanova if you don't have uh, the Big East Championship game in 2016, in which Seton Hall uh, took down the Cats to win the to win the tournament title. If you don't have that win for Seton Hall, I don't think the rivalry is where it is right now. Uh, because you had a team that year that had two pretty close games against that Villanova team that won the national championship, including the game in Newark uh, in late January, in which Seton Hall had the lead with two minutes left. Uh, they went into that championship game knowing they could win, and they did. And really, ever since then, it's grown immensely. Uh, demand to go to that game is high around here. That's why they've opened up the top deck. That's the only time they do it. And that game ever since they've started doing that has either been very close to or has been sold out. Um, people around here want to go to it. The students love it. The fans love it. The players love it. Uh, so yeah, I think it's fair to call it a rivalry. It's still in its early stages, uh, but there's definitely distaste for that school uh, when you walk around campus and you talk to, uh, when you talk to some of the fans, they definitely have, a certain level of distaste towards towards Villanova. I know it's probably a little different on Villanova's side because, I mean, you guys have won two national championships in the last three years. Uh, you, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at this, your, your schedules the last couple of years, Seton Hall isn't as formidable formidable of an, uh, an opponent as others that you have on your schedule. Uh, so I think it's a little more of a one-sided rivalry, I guess I would say. There's more distaste on Seton Hall side than I would imagine there would be on Villanova's. I wouldn't call it a rivalry just yet, but I would say that there were definitely some moments that could like help spark one. I mean, just looking at the first year of the Big East tournament or the realignment year, you guys knocked this out of the quarterfinals. Right. And then after that, there was the Sterling Gibbs incident with yes. Ryan Archie Diacono. Uh, 2016, the Big East tournament final when Seton Hall won. That was also devastating for Villanovans. <laughs> I remember just looking at fans leaving the arena while Pirates fans were definitely celebrating up and down. The Wildcat fans were just so bummed out. But uh, I I do like the games. They, they have been very competitive. They've been very heated. You can tell that both teams enjoy playing each other a lot, and it just makes it for some great basketball. I think there's something brewing, but I wouldn't quite call it a rivalry just yet. But I, I would definitely say that out of all the teams since realignment, I would say that there's definitely something a little special between Nova, Seton Hall. Oh, there definitely is. I mean, and that's what I say. I think it's more when you look at Seton Hall's side, I think there's more aggression, more distaste. Uh, I think Seton Hall's players, Seton Hall's fans look more forward to the game against Villanova than the flip side when then Villanova does look forward to Seton Hall. I mean, the atmosphere though is great. 
they had the game at the Wells Fargo Center this year down in Philly. Uh, but this is now going to be the third year that it's going to be a packed house at the Prudential Center. Um, I think last year was probably probably one of the more anticipated ones, given how it was the last time the seniors are going to be playing against that group. And uh, going into the year, there was a lot of high expectations from that team that, I mean, ne- weren't necessarily fulfilled in the end, but you had the core player, the core seniors still there to play that game. I think that was one of the more anticipated ones. So it's going to be interesting this year uh, how the, the this is a younger group. There's only one player that is for sure leaving after this year, Michael Lindsay. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how a young group of players responds to an atmosphere, not just in Newark at the Prudential Center, but also uh, down in down in Philly. All right. So prediction time. Seton Hall comes to the Wells Fargo Center on January 27th. Then the series heads back to the Rock on March 9th, and that will be the end of the regular season. Also, your senior day. How do you see this series playing out? Do you think it will be a split this year, or is it a sweep going either way? I do see Villanova taking both games right now. Uh, I think uh, it'll be a little closer of a game once it's back here at Prudential Center, given the the atmosphere that will be surrounding it. It's senior night. Uh, it'll be a packed house at Prudential. I think Villanova will be will, is going to be able to handle the Pirates at Wells Fargo Center late January, so I think they get the win there. Uh, but I think the game at Prudential Center could be one that is close over the final couple minutes. Um, I mean, this team will have a full season under their belt playing with each other. They'll, the chemistry will be there. Um, but I do think I'm not going to go as far to say that uh, the Pirates are going to take one and they'll split. Uh, I do think Villanova, I think they're one of the best teams in the country. Um, and I think they'll they'll be able to, to sweep the Pirates this year. Chris, what say you? Yeah, I got this as a sweep as well. Um, Villanova always seems to to win against Seton Hall at home, so and I think that trend will continue uh, this year. But yeah, the, the games at the Rock are always interesting, and I and I kind of disregarded the fact that this is a senior night game. Um, at least when I was first going through the schedule, I didn't realize Seton Hall senior night was then. So it might be a little bit more amped up, but I still think uh, I still think Villanova goes into the Prudential Center and wins that one. Yeah, I'm not sure how much the senior night atmosphere is going to play into it as much as the the packed crowd will, simply because you, you're only going to be honoring Michael Enzi. He's really the only one uh, that's going to be honored before the game. If it was something like last year where you had the, the four seniors leaving, then it might be a little bit of a, of a different story. Not to discredit Michael Enzi is all, at all. He's been a fantastic player in this in this program for the last couple of years, uh, and he's going to be a big contributor this year. But I just think. All in all, Villanova is the more talented team. You guys pretty much covered it. I also think it will be a sweep in Villanova's favor. Matt, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for talking Seton Hall hoops with us. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Once again, that was Matt Ambrose. You can follow him at M-A-M-B-R-O-S-E-97. M-Ambrose97, all one word, on Twitter. Chris, I will say, I feel a little honored. I feel a little honored that the only time they open up the top deck at the Prudential Center is for Villanova. Just, just that, just that one time. I, I guess, I guess it is an honor. I, I enjoy it because you know it just means that much more tickets to to go to a game. You know, especially uh, 
since I live in New Jersey and you live uh, close by, it's uh, easier to go to a game. So I'm all for it. Open, open the top deck whenever Villanova comes in, please. Makes it much easier to get in. Chris, I'll tell you right now, if I can make it through the rest of my life without ever having to set foot at the Prudential Center for a Seton Hall Villanova game, I'll be, I'll be just fine. I think I'll be just okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you've had uh, your trials and tribulations at that place, but you know, since my favorite hockey team plays there, I, I seem to enjoy the arena most more, more than most. So uh, it, it's also fun to then see your favorite basketball team go in there as a visiting team. But I know, I know you try to stay clear of that. Oh yeah, I still have not forgotten that long trip to Newark in 2013. Last but not least, we got the Xavier Musketeers. To close off our Biggie's preview show and to help us talk about it, we have Robert O'Neill in the house, the commander of Biggie's Coast Bias, alongside Chris Novak. Rob's here today to talk to us about the Xavier Musketeers. How's your day going so far? Uh, you know, it's going pretty well. Uh, it's a little cold out, but, you know, it's it's November, so I guess that sort of thing happens. It means college basketball's close, so we got that going for us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Can't wait. We talked about before that even though they've moved up the start time by a week, it still feels like the longest offseason ever. Oh, yeah. So it's been a pretty long offseason for the Xavier Musketeers, too. They've lost almost everybody. J.P. McCara, Trayvon Blewett, the best one-two punch that the program had ever seen, is has graduated. They even lost Chris Mack, who's now left for greener pastures in Louisville. And now Travis Steele, the assistant coach, has been promoted, much like how Mac was after Sean Miller darted for Arizona. What can we expect from this Musketeer squad this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously going to be a little bit of a uh, transitional period for them. Uh, you know, obviously having the high seeds in the NCAA tournament the past couple of years with, you know, Mac and Blue at Mikura, that's probably not a reasonable expectation this year, but I mean, I think Travis Steele was probably the right guy to promote. Um, you know, their recruiting has been still very good for 2019 and going forward. And, um, you know, you still have guys like uh, Quentin Gooden and Tyreek Jones who have now, you know, played two full years and kind of ready to take over and kind of make it their team. And, you know, their freshmen last year were also pretty good and Najee Marshall and Paul Scruggs. So it's not like Chris Mack left them with nothing. It's just, you know, they lost a lot of pieces, especially on offense. Yeah, in a couple seasons, this Xavier team will definitely be loaded. They're just killing it on the recruiting trail. And I totally see what J.P. McCure was talking about. I I was able to talk to him a few weeks after Steele was hired back at the 3X3U, and he just had nothing but positive things to say about Steele. And it clearly seems to be working out so far on the recruiting front. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's important. You know, I think he was – really the uh, main recruiter for Chris Mack. So it was really big that he was able to stay and, uh, you know, kind of keep some of that continuity. And I don't think they really lost too many players from, uh, you know, I don't think they lost any freshmen coming in this year with the coaching change. And, yeah, I think they have four or five commits for next year already. So it's it's been, you know, a really strong start for Travis Steele in terms of, uh, you know, his head coaching. But, it's just a matter of, you know, do they have enough talent, particularly offensively, with the losses of, you know, Blewett, Kareem Cantor was big last year, J.P. McGurr, Sean O'Mara. I mean, you got all those guys who just, they did so much, and now you have to make up for all of it. So, Rob, you had actually mentioned Najee Marshall, um, but two other players I kind of want to keep my eye out on for Xavier is Quentin Gooden and Tyreek Jones, and all three of those guys, they all showed flashes of potential last year. 
But in your opinion, does anybody of that bunch take a big leap this year? Anybody we should watch out for? Yeah, well, I mean, I think someone has to if Xavier wants to be competitive. I mean, someone's got to kind of jump up and be a leading scorer or you're going to get a situation where, you know, they have four guys averaging around 10 points a game, which can happen too. But, I mean, I think the jury's still out. I think um, you didn't mention him, but Paul Scruggs is a guy who was really highly touted last year and kind of got off to a slow start in uh, his first year. So I think he can maybe make a bit of an impact this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a guy like Tyreek Jones could definitely uh, kind of come into his own too. You know, uh, the kind of caliber of big men Xavier had the past couple of years really helped him probably learn. And, you know, in Big East play particularly, there aren't a ton of, you know, dominant big men this year with Angel Delgado gone and, you know, some of those other guys. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, a guy like Tyreek Jones could step up. It also looks like that Xavier will be getting a little boost during this transitional year and Travis Steele's first year in bringing three grad transfers. I, In recent memory, I don't think I've ever seen a school bring in this many, but they'll be able to get a, a nice boost from Kyle Castellan, who's coming in from Columbia. Ryan Wellage is coming in from San Jose State and Zach Hankins from Ferris State. What can they bring to Xavier? Yeah, I mean, I think all three of those guys really help. You know, whenever you bring in grad transfers, they're generally, you know, the more polished, kind of ready-to-play players. And, you know, on a team that lost four seniors from last year, I think that sort of thing is really important. Um, so maybe, you know, you make up some of the scoring from there. I'm particularly high on Zach Hankins. I think he's been uh, really solid throughout his college career, and he's another big man where he could, uh, you know, really make an impact. Uh, you know, like I said, it's really all going to come down to just, figuring out the offense, figuring out making up for, you know, Blewett was probably around 20 points a game and McCurro was around 15. So, I mean, that's 35 right there you got to make up. So it's not going to be easy. With regards to those uh, grad transfers that Eugenia just touched on, can they be impact transfers on their first and only go around and higher competition? They were, they aren't really, you know, from traditional basketball schools. No. And I mean, I've seen it a lot in the big East in particular where the grad transfers the last couple of years have really, made an impact. And I mean, I think that's kind of what the programs are looking for, you know, someone who can come in and make an instant impact because you only have the one year. So, you know, more often than not, when you're transferring from, you know, a lower major to one of the traditional power conferences, you have a particular skill set in one way or another that really fits that team. So I think we could definitely see something from any of these three guys. So prediction time on January 18th, Xavier comes to Philly, then the series will head back to Ohio in late February. How do you see this regular season series going? Do you see a split between both teams, or will one side be able to sweep the other? No, I mean, I think Villanova's probably going to sweep Xavier this year. It's not going to be like – oh, yeah, they swept them last year too. It was, what, two years ago that they split, I think? Yeah, or three years ago. Anyway, it's not going to uh, it's not going to be like that. I think Villanova um, is obviously kind of running away the best team in the conference. Um, and, you know, with Xavier having lost – the kind of caliber of players that they lost that we talked about and Travis Steele's first year, I think uh, it's really a tough task to ask them to beat Villanova either time because, you know, Villanova is one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Anything can happen in conference play and obviously going to Cinta center is not easy, but um, I, I would predict Villanova to sweep Xavier this year. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I got it as a sweep as well. I think Xavier just lost way too much talent to basically overcome uh, Villanova and, Xavier always kind of struggles against Villanova, even when they do have like the really good teams. It just seems that Villanova is always a matchup nightmare for them. So yeah, I, I see this as a sweep in Nova's favor. 
I'm going to have to agree with you both. I think Nova does take both games in the regular season. Rob, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was fun. Rob O'Neill, everybody. You can find him on Big East Coast Bias and definitely on Twitter. <laughs> At Robert O'Neill 31, right? It is 31, right? Yep. Awesome. Thanks again, Rob. Yep, see it. Just looking at our comparisons and comparing records and sharing our thoughts on each of the matchups, you and I both had Villanova finishing 14-4. and four. The only differences we had is that we all saw the same results, but the only difference was Villanova would, or I felt that Villanova would lose at home, and you thought Villanova would win at home and lose at the Garden, while I thought Nova would win at the Garden. So basically just swapping the location of the win and loss. As for our guests, they had Nova finishing a combined 15-3, and three, which is pretty good. Totally take it. I'll take 14-4 and four too. Speak now, forever hold your peace. Is this, Are you locking in 14-4? and four? Yeah, I'm locking it in. It, I, I'm just hard-pressed to pick a pick this team to lose at home and I just feel that they'll just have them struggle a little bit on the road against some of the better teams in the conference. I don't think there's any harm in, in thinking that uh, 14 and four is a very, very respectable record. Probably should get the job done. Hopefully he gets the job done at least in the regular season. And uh, yeah, that's I'm surprised that we actually had the same record uh, across the board. Yeah. In the years past, we've totally diverged. I remember the first year we were doing this, I was, the cautiously optimistic towards pessimistic. You were fully optimistic. Then last year going into the season, I was totally on the Nova train and you were a little apprehensive at times. But now this time looks like we've come to a common ground. Just looking last year, Nova finished 14 and four in conference play. So it's not it's not a bad mark to shoot for. And we all know what happened after that too. We, it worked out perfectly just fine. They took home the tournament title as well as the NCAA tournament title. So you can't really complain. No, not at all. Yeah, I'm also locking in 14 and 4. I think Nova should, that should be good enough to finish in first. And as for the Big East tournament, I think they'll totally make to the championship game again. Yeah, I mean, obviously we won't know the the bracket until March, but we'll see how the matchups play out from there and see how Villanova fares against the teams that they'll be potentially matching up against in in the Big East. But as of right now, as we sit here today, I say put Villanova in the Big East final. We'll go from there. I, I think they probably should win the, the whole thing. I think they should win the regular season. I think they should win the conference tournament. But you never know. Totally, totally, totally looking forward to this year. It should be really fun. We are about 12 hours away from basketball being back in our lives. I'm so excited. I honestly thought I went through Monday yesterday thinking that it was already Tuesday. So by the time it was 7 p.m. yesterday, I was already looking for games and I was frustrated when I couldn't find them on TV. I'm super stoked. I'm really excited. I know you are too. That's all the time we have for today. Unfortunately, no mail today. This episode was a little longer and we were happy to have all our guests come on and help us break down the Big East Conference and the series between Villanova and those teams, as well as how all those different teams are looking going into this year. Please, if you have any questions though, Tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod or leave your question in the comments section and we will totally get to it next time. And I promise you, next time we're on the show and we're talking on Thursday, we're going to have a little special guest. So stay tuned and totally ask your question. In the meantime, thank you again for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe 
on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podomatic. You have many, many, many options to access the show. And please rate the show five star, five star, five star, five star, five star. It helps us get the show out more to nationers around the world and around the country. So please help us out in getting the word out to all the Villanovans around. Also, check back at the site at viewhoops.com. We're going to have everything. This is this is the time of the year when the website is full speed ahead. We're going to have so many articles, so many different previews. We know Catherine's already on, and it was a killer preview. We're going to have a recap of tonight's game, and we're just going to have a bunch of different articles, stats, metrics, looking at everything and anything Villanova basketball. So please check back and check off in. You can follow the pod at S-O-N-N pod. You can also follow VU Hoops on social media at VU Hoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. Also, shout out, by the way, to our Instagram account, which recently just hit the 3K mark. Thank you for everyone who follows and supports us. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at the Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, it's finally here. It's the 2018-19 season. College basketball is just a few hours away. We're starting things off with Morgan State, and it's going to be a fun, fun, fun next few months all the way until hopefully April so we can hear this again. Three seconds to go across the timeline. Two seconds to go. Jenkins, three, right wing to win it. He made it. He made the three for the right wing. At the buzzer. Cats win it all. Cats win it all. Cats win it all. 31 years later, Villanova is the king of college basketball once again. Or maybe something like this. Great team we witnessed in this tournament and tonight. The Nova Nation has another national championship. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.